Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now with an earnings bonanza. The big kahuna Apple is higher, beating earnings weeks after warning Wall Street. We're also watching advanced micro devices, Amgen and eBay, all those names on the move as their conference calls get underway. And we've got full team coverage. Josh Lipton's and Cupertino outside of Apple headquarters. Frank Holland is monitoring Amgen. Deidre Bose is listening in on eBay. Seema Modi's back at headquarters getting ready to jump in on the AMD call. Plus, the earnings trench, it's back. Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster is manning the red iPhone. And strategist of technician Chris Verona is standing by to give us instant reaction on the biggest stock moves after hours. So let's get right to it. Apple's conference call kicking off right now. Josh Lipton is in Cupertino where he just spoke with Apple CEO Tim Cook. Hey, Josh. Mel, I did just have the opportunity to speak with Tim Cook. And, you know, last time I talked to Cook, he had emphasized this weakening Chinese economy exacerbated by these trade tensions. So I wanted to get um, his take now. Here's what he told me. He said, as we got into January, things have improved from where they ended in December. And that gives us some optimism. Of course, you don't know what will continue. But I would also point out that seems to map to trade tensions as well, that there is a bit more optimism in the air in January, or certainly I feel that anyways. I'm encouraged by the comments coming out of both countries. I did, Mel, also ask him about this Q2 guidance, uh, 55 to $59 billion. At the midpoint, that's lower than, let's call it the $59 billion that the street was at. Uh, so I asked him about that forecast. Cook saying, well, we don't attach our guidance to what the street is looking for. We attach it to what we can do. And so we think we can do 55 to $59 billion. Considering the currency situation, et cetera, it's strong guidance. Revenue was down 5% last quarter, but only down 3% of constant currency. And the effect will be more this quarter on currency than it was in the last quarter. This call is just now kicking off. I'm going to hop on it and bring you guys headlines as they come. Mel, back to you. You know, Josh, it's interesting. The way Tim Cook was talking about China trade, it made it seem like all of China's, uh, all of Apple's woes in China are directly tied to trade as opposed to a slowing Chinese economy. Well, I think he sees that they're kind of connected. I think he see, his argument has been, Mel, that mm-hmm. it's a slowing Chinese economy and that is made worse and exacerbated by trade. I think other analysts, and I'm sure you're going to hear them on the call, have questions about what's going on in China more broadly. I think yeah. on the call you're going to probably hear um, analysts talk about, listen, are there other factors? Is it pricing? Is it um, uh, nationalism of the Chinese? Are some Chinese just not as taken with the new uh, or the latest and greatest iPhones? I would expect you're getting a lot of questions on that starting right now. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton and Cupertino will check in with you a little bit later on. The stock, as we mentioned at the top, now back at the levels it was at uh, before it warned about, uh, about earnings a month ago. So is the worst over for this stock, Guy? Personally, I don't think so. I mean, the quarter was fine. The, the inline EPS, revenue slightly bigger. Um, in terms of services, we all talk about services. It's now 12.9% of this quarter's revenue. I guess that's okay. Uh, services revenue is up 19% year over year. 
iPhones disappointing, I think, guidance disappointing, but maybe the market is saying, you know what, valuation is too compelling. They sandbagged this last quarter. Let's get in now before the stock continues to move higher. I, I would think fade here, but I'll probably be wrong. The idea that perhaps they're giving conservative guidance so that they won't miss two quarters in a row is a pretty compelling thought. Yeah, I mean, I think this is all positioning. They warned, you saw the stock rally between 12 and 15 percent. Seems like a good entry point. I'm still along the name. I don't think with slowing iPhone sales and with slowing growth that it's going to be a long story, this bullish story. So I would fade the pop as well as Guy said. I asked Josh about uh trade China trade versus China economy because I understand that one affects the other but there wasn't a turnaround in Chinese economic data there was the January and the there wasn't and the, also mean, the concern was whether or not the iPhone is too expensive for the Chinese market right and so there's a lot of competition over there so that's what we'll find out on the call I think the call is going to be really important in this particular case on the surface numbers were good enough to keep Apple at these levels but they're really going to have to come out and say listen we are not seeing any more slowdown in China and we're actually seeing a bit of a pickup. We have a plan to get these $1,000 phones out the door. And guess what? Service is really picking up. If they say all those type of things, then I think you can buy the stock. So in China, not just the, the trade, but the dynamics of there's, there's good and bad. So you've got actually a renewal in the application of gaming apps, which some people think right. will help sequentially. Um, you have then the fresh Huawei kind of indictments and arrests and, and the dynamics that be very clear. There, there is, if there's not explicit, there's certainly some implicit pressure on Chinese consumers to leave the iOS system. It, there's no question about it. So people should be concerned that the news today, I actually thought that that was going to weigh on the stock. Earnings are much more important coming into today. Uh, but nonetheless, that was some tough news overnight. And, and I think the bottom line here is the elongation of the essentially the cycle for these phones, the ASP pressure, uh, the dynamics that I think are, are not going to go away anytime soon, I mean, this is a stock that the street is actually still overweight on, but nobody said, or most folks are saying it's very range-bound. No one's willing to say that this stock actually has near-term upside. Yeah, I think the Huawei thing is interesting as well because, as the Commerce Secretary has said, what's going on with Huawei is completely separate from what is going on in terms of U.S.-China trade talks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we could have some sort of a deal, but these charges that, could, that the company faces they might could be continue. Just saying that, it could though, be an ongoing too. story. They might be just saying that, yeah, too, could be. to kind of separate it and give them leverage. They'd never say that they were tied together. But the fact of the matter is, is that the U.S. will not want its allies or its companies to buy any equipment from Huawei in 5G. That's right. And that is an ongoing security issue, regardless of the charges against the company at this it's point. It's probably not going away anytime yeah. soon, right? I mean, so, yeah, I think that's a, clearly a potential headwind. I'll mention this because, listen, there were a lot of good things here. Let's mention, you know, the other products which they break out. $7.3 billion, that's not insignificant. Uh, 33%. So when you, yeah, and so when you, yeah. you layer in other products and services, now you're talking about close to $19 billion over an $81 billion. Now you're talking about 21%, 22% of revenue. So you are growing on the right lines. The, the problem is, though, for Apple and I'm still a shareholder, is that it was never given that valuation that you could brag about. It was never given that growth valuation. It was sort of given a stable valuation. So now if we start to say, okay, it's just okay, 
What happens to valuation? I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but it's certainly oh, not going certainly not going right. up. You're not getting it. So that's why the, that's expansion. for me why the conference call is so important because they have to give you some hope. They have to give you, hey, you know what? We are going to grow. We are going to turn this company from a hardware company into a services company, and it's happening right now. Unless they do that, I think you kind of meander around. Doesn't mean it's a bad buy. It just means that you're not going to get that excitement uh, and a new shareholder base coming in, folks. I, I think this is all about positioning, and, and you know, coming into this earnings number, the buy side was actually much more cautious than the sell side. In fact, buy side has 40 million iPhone units, roughly fiscal Q2, significantly below where the street is. I, I just think it's all about positioning. It's all about sentiment. There's, the, the, this company is not markedly different than it was two quarters ago in terms of what's what the trends were on iPhones. It's totally sentiment, and, and I think sentiment has gotten you know overly extreme, and it's been made extreme by the dynamic in China, which is believed to be the key to Apple sales. And I, I'm, I'm you know it may be in the short run, but right. Now, I actually think that positioning is the biggest part of the story. And the lack of transparency into their numbers. Yep. I mean, taking a metric away makes them a different company from what they were two quarters ago, however you want to call it. We've got less information. That's right. That's, that's to Steve's point about uh, positioning, mm-hmm. Tim's as well. It's interesting, right? So they warned the stock was trading 144. iPhone sales revenue is down, I think, 16% year over year. And now you have the stock trading 161. So you talk about, well, this is going to come out wrong. But a bit of sleight of hand, and all of a sudden the stock is higher than it was. That came out wrong. When it, but it, you understand, I think yes, the folks I, at home know exactly know what, what I'm saying. saying. So basically you get less clarity, but now you heard as soon as we come out with the services number, people want to know, well, I want to break down the services number. I want to see where exactly the services number. So they're not going to get clarity through the iPhone sales, but they're going to go to services, and now they're going to pick through the data. Right, because there's less data to focus on. You're going to focus on services. I was talking to an analyst today from Raymond James, Chris Queso, and he was saying that a big bulk of services is Apple Care. So what happens when unit sales go down, which we don't know because they won't release unit sales? Right. You don't need Apple Care in your phone. You don't need right, exactly. And again, the whole services growth is based on this unit growth idea. And so I think they really, they really, really botched that last quarter when they uh, just kind of shocked everybody by saying we're not going to break things down. So they have to come out and give a little bit more information on what the company is going to look like. Otherwise, I think they've got a real credibility problem on Wall Street. But I, so I hear what you're saying, and but everything you just said to me means that the market needed to make an adjustment. Well, guess what, folks? It, it made a forty percent adjustment. So, you know, they, they, they told you sure. stuff you didn't want to hear. They told you were doing things a little differently. They didn't change their business overnight. Uh, it's just the market's perception of them changed overnight. And again, I think the buy side of the street actually b- believes that this stock is cheap right now. All right. For more on Apple's earnings, let's bring in Fast Money friend Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster. So, Gene, what's your take on the quarter? Uh, Melissa, my first reaction was I'm surprised that the guidance wasn't worse. And specifically is that they guided the high end of their guidance would suggest it's in line with the street. Keep in mind, Apple does not want to miss two quarters in a row. So I thought that that was uh, an impressive positive. The second is these other earnings have been coming in. The macro is impacting everyone, and Apple's doing a great job of navigating it. That said, it was a miss, and uh, another piece to this is the earnings was more powerful than I had expected. Typically, when companies miss their revenue, the earnings falls dramatically below plan, and in fact, they did deliver record earnings. And so, kind of putting this together, I think that explains kind of the reaction of the stock. One last more fundamental piece that really jumped out at me was the services uh, growth, the margin growth in services year over year going from 58 to 62 percent. I think that's comforting for investors because they're really putting a lot of weight in the services opportunity longer term. 
Uh, true, and I think that's comforting, especially in an environment where it's expected that hardware margins will go down over time. But in terms of services as a percent of total revenues, Gene, is that growing to the point where you know you think it needs to be in order to to keep people in the stock? It's slow. It is growing to a point where it's clearly a topic where we uh, we are all focused on it. So I think that it is growing fast enough. Nineteen percent in the just reported quarter, in line with expectations. The point where it's a critical mass is probably 30%. It'll take us years to get there, but I think the trajectory and the profitability are very encouraging. This is also in face of some uh, uh, negative headlines around their services business, in particular Netflix and Spotify starting to drift away from using their payments platform. So I think that shows just the broader strength of the service offering and how that can the trajectory should be higher margins in the future. Do you think that the root of Apple's China problem is in the U.S.-China trade war? I think that has a measurable impact. I think that, uh, you know, it's obviously hit a lot of different companies, so there's probably more to it. If you're going to ask me to guess, I think probably a quarter of it is related to essentially some brand damage that's happened related to the trade war. A quarter of Apple's China problem is a China trade war. So 75% of the, of the problem in China would remain even if the trade talks resolve yes i think that's going to the china piece and they haven't dived into it in the call i think the china piece is going to take a year or so to work itself out i think part of the china problem can be corrected relatively quickly on the trade side all right uh, we'll check with you again gene thank you let's get into analysis on the earnings and the charts let's get to chris verone head of technical analysis at strategus so chris what are you looking at hey melissa well certainly uh, a good response after hours the stock is back above that 160 level that is important for us but i think the way the stock responds here just tells you uh, how much damage had been done, how low the bar was going into these numbers. What we're showing you here are the declines in Apple over the last four or five years. We were already down 40% into that number. We were down 33 in 15, 16, and down about 40 in 2013. So these have proved to be bottoms in the past. I think that 150 level that we held a few weeks ago is really key. It's right on the trend line. We think we bounce off 150, getting up through 160, important. And when you look at the sentiment uh, around the stock, the fewest number of buy ratings from the sell side right now at any point over the last decade. So sentiment is washed out. The stock is responding well. We think this was a good washout. We're buyers of the stock right here. And it's not the only big name today. We had AMD uh, that reported as well. Very solid response, uh, up about 8% uh, after hours. It's another name where a lot of the damage was already done. This is a 50% decline in AMD over the last six months. We held, very importantly, the $16 level that it broke out from early last year. We're now back above that 20 range. We think this is a stock on its way back to 25, perhaps even 30. Apple, AMD, the damage has been done. We think we're past that. We're buyers of both stocks. All right, so does that imply, Chris, I mean, specifically for Apple, that the stock is not range-bound? Um, and what level does it need to reach in order for you to be confident that it's actually broken out of, of where it is? Well, I think we can look to those lows from a few weeks ago near 150 as a stop for any long. I think the big message here is when you look at the stock, you took out a lot of optimism after the last two or three years, down 40% is a big move down. It priced in a lot of bad outcomes. Holding 150 is key. Getting back up above 160, which we've done today, is important. We think you're back on your way to maybe 180, 190 over the next six months. 
All right. Uh, Chris, thanks. We'll, we'll get back to you in just a bit. Let's trade some of these names. And AMD is one that we haven't talked to yet. But, of course, a lot of concern after NVIDIA's warning yesterday um, before the open. And we had AMD concerns as well because they overlap in a lot of markets. Like overlap in a lot of markets. But AMD is in other markets obviously doing better than Intel. What we've said, I think, pretty consistently is don't confuse Intel's sort of some of the malaise with Intel to be AMD's as well. Now, I understand why AMD got sold off with the rest of them. They get caught up in that maelstrom word that I've used before. I only use it once in the show. With that said, I think this quarter for AMD proves they're sort of separating themselves like other names, for example, LAM Research and Xilinx. Yeah, look, on AMD, this is a stock, though, that overshot to the upside. I mean, the stock went from 10 to 33 on a valuation that was very difficult to explain. There's a lot of short covering in the name. Um, the semis, as we've talked about, are still uh, a wide group in terms of the, what at least the valuations are within that group and haven't really necessarily righted the ship. Um, if we've talked about the two names here, there's no question to me Apple has significantly more upside. But, you know, the range-bound nature of, of where markets are right now, uh, I think Apple, if anything, is the one stock that could probably Why is there no question in your mind that. that Apple has significantly more upside than so, AMD. Sorry? Why, why, in your mind, is, is there because, no question that Apple's a better buy over be, AMD? Because, first of all, I think AMD has had more of a snapback rally year-to-date. AMD's up about 10% year-to-date. Apple's absolutely flat. It's underperformed the S&P by about 600 basis points. On First of all, we needed these numbers out of Apple today. Again, Chris pointed out how the street has been offsides on this. I pointed out how I think the expectations were very, very low. Um, and now the valuation you can really explain. By the way, Tim Cook is actually telling us that the situation in China is better than we think. Um, I'm not so sure that we need to trade on on that. Um, is there I, a fade both stocks option here? Because I think you fade sure. both stocks option here. Yeah. I, I do, I do like on a, on a uh, technical level, AMD looks more supportive right here around uh, using like a 200 day as a stop out there. But Apple, I think that structurally the story has changed. AMD is a more of a moving target. So I don't think anyone was classifying it's a higher beta. Yeah. Definitely Apple is a, is a longer term hold, but I think shorter term, you're going to catch a lot of headwinds. I like AMD a little bit better. Don't want to buy it up 10%, but the key word for both of these earnings report, stability. As long as there's some stability out there, I think you could start to form a bottom. All right, coming up, more on Apple throughout the hours. The conference call is ongoing. Tim Cook is getting ready to speak to the street. We'll bring you all the headlines. Plus, check out Amgen. That stock is sinking after hours. Uh, but biotech has been outperforming the healthcare sector by a large margin this year. Chris Rohn will be back to explain why it's just the beginning of an even bigger breakout. And later, amid the earnings deluge, Jerome Powell is getting ready to enter the spotlight once again. Will the Fed chair do what Wall Street is waiting for and release the doves? We've got all the details. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Amgen falling in the after-hour session on the back of its earnings report. Let's get to Frank Holland back at headquarters with uh, Wall Street's reaction to the results. Hey, Frank. Hey, good afternoon, Melissa. You know, we spoke to five analysts. None of them really surprised to see Amgen shares falling after weak guidance despite solid beats on revenue and EPS. Michael Yee of Jeffries telling us the weak or what he called conservative guidance for the biopharmaceutical has been part of a pattern for the past six quarters where they eventually ended up beating. Yee saying we think the stock is down and expected reaction, but the guidance ultimately is conservative. He's saying conservative, not weak. Kenan McRae of RBC saying the beat was largely due to legacy products, which won't see shareholder reward due to impending risks by generics and biosimilars. McKay also told me that the company is really under intense pressure on its best-selling drugs, including Enbro and Sensafar. Alethea Young of Cantor Fitzgerald echoing that sentiment, saying she's expecting to get more insight on what a lot of people are calling weak guidance from the call that started at 5 o'clock and is still going on right now. She's saying on the call we are focused on color about the pipeline, especially in oncology, biosimilar competition in the base business, Amavig, its migraine medicine, launch trends, and deploying capital. Now, its best-selling drug, Enbrel, did see a decline in sales, but revenue still beat estimates. So again, a strong beat on revenue and EPS, and analysts are listening to the call right now, waiting for more insight on why this company decided to issue what a lot of people are considering weak guidance. Yeah. Melissa, back over to you. Frank, thank you uh, for more instant analysis of the earnings and what it means for biotech. Let's uh, bring back Chris Verone, a strategist who's over at the Plasma Still. Chris, what are you looking at? Well, we actually like the group here, and I recognize we have Amgen down modestly uh, after hours here. But when we put this 2% decline in some context and look at the longer-term chart here, what we really see with Amgen over the last three years is a series of higher lows, about 140 150. We now think that 180 level is key. On any pullback here, we got to hold 180. And I think ultimately, you can move towards a breakout above the 200 level. Importantly, the stock has actually improved some relative to the S&P. Now, our favorite biotech name in the whole space is actually Regeneron. This is one that's already acting better. It's on the verge, really, of breaking out um, right there. It's already done it in relative terms. So when you start to pick apart the pieces within biotech, we find names like this one that are already exhibiting relative leadership. We want to be long here. Now, on the other side, there's some misses too. And I think the move here in AbbVie um, recognizes to us how bifurcated this space is. You're already, you're already making new relative lows versus the S&P here. Uh, and I think importantly, you repelled right at the downward sloping 200-day average. So new relative lows failing at the 200. I think AbbVie is an example of one you want to avoid. We buy the weakness in Amgen, and I think Regeneron is the best name of the sector. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. I'm glad Chris actually mentioned AbbVie because it was AbbVie's warning on Humira that really caused some concern about the Enbrel uh, business here for Amgen, which has come under pressure, as we've seen in the results. And then when it comes to biosimilars, Nulasa. So we're talking about two major drugs uh, in its portfolio that are facing some sort of pressure and or competition. Yeah, rheumatoid arthritis. So Enbrel beat on revenues, as Frank said, and Nulasa beat on revenues, as Frank said. But the guidance wasn't conservative. The guidance was miserable, and I'll explain why. There, next year, the street was looking for $14.57. They guided $13.10 to $14.30. First of all, you can drive a truck through that, number one, and that's pretty lousy guidance. I'm surprised the stock's not down more than it is. Now, again, this was a good quarter, 
But to say that's conservative, I think, is giving them the benefit of the and doubt. And both those drugs in 2023 are going to be cut in half as far as their projections, as far as what their revenues are going to be. So you've got to have a, a, a tremendous pipeline. Why not make it easier on yourself? And the IBB has had its best month in two years. By the IBB, it's up 11 percent. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking all these risks on these one-off FDA approvals. I mean, Enbrel is going to face biosimilar competition in a couple of years. So it's, yeah. That's true. Uh, but, you know, Nulasta is is almost as big of a drug for them as Embrel, and, and they crushed it on that one. I mean, for what it's worth, this guy pointed out, this is a very, very strong quarter. It tells you how bad the guidance was, and that's still what people are coming to terms with. This is a stock that also, I would argue, has been very defensive. As Steve pointed out, the entire sector largely has been. 191 is the 200-day. That's where I think you watch it. I think if it holds, though, this is a stock people still want to stay in. I'm with Stephen P. Grasso. I like buying the IBB. I mean, the whole idea is they're going to have to buy some kind of drug so they no longer have the competition and have to carve out a little bit of a niche. The only thing I don't like about the IBB is how much it's run-ups this year. And it's right against roughly 111, 112. That seems to be a resistance. So the way I would trade it is let it prove it to me. Let it really break out before you get into that. But if you want to play the biotech theme, that's the way to go I mean, for it me. It is up at 20% from December 24th lows. Yeah, so, I mean, and last, and last year the trade it was down 10% last year, then up 20%. So yeah, this could be a settling in stage. But with the IBB, you're going to get your Biogen, your Celgene, and your Amgen in those top couple of holdings. Why not just make it easier? If you want to be in this space, that's where you should be. All right, let's quickly check in with Gene Munster, who's listening to Apple CEO Tim Cook on the conference call. That stock is now at after-hour session high. So Gene, what stands out to you? Melissa, the call's taking a different direction than what I expected. They're still in prepared remarks, but typically when companies have missed, unprecedented miss like that, they send a lot of caution to investors in the upcoming quarters. Instead, Apple's giving some confidence that they can work through this. It increased install base by 7%. New programs to entice people to upgrade. I think it's just simply giving investors encouragement that they will, this storm, too, will pass. All right. Thanks, Gene. We'll check in with you again uh, for more on Apple shortly. The stock is up 6%, as you saw there. Also still ahead, it is the moment that all of Wall Street has been waiting for. Will the Federal Reserve say the words every investor wants to hear? The traders will weigh in. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. A lot more Fast Money coming up right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Aside from the busiest week of earnings season, the other big story markets are watching here, the Fed. Our Bob Pisani is down at the NYSE with what's on investors' minds. Bob. Hello, uh, Melissa. The markets moved sideways today despite lousy guidance from 3M, Lockheed Martin and others. And the Fed may have had something to do with this. First, there's the Fed drift. This is the well-documented tendency for U.S. equities to rally in the 24 hours before a Fed meeting concludes. Next here, we've got the markets have come to believe that the Fed and other central banks are getting on their side, and that's the dovish side. In the past couple of months, central banks around the world have signaled that they will not be raising rates aggressively. And there have been hints that they would be very stimulative if they need to be. China has essentially already taken this path. Now, this change is critical to market sentiment. Traders believe that the two most important issues that determine the direction of stock prices are first earnings and second liquidity. Liquidity is just how much money there is to invest. And the primary determinant of liquidity is central bank actions. Now, traders are clearly expecting a more dovish Fed. Fed Chair Jay Powell said in December the Fed will be, quote, patient, before raising rates? Well, that's different from the prior narrative that the Fed would be gradually raising rates. So will that sentiment be reflected in the new statement? Our CNBC Fed survey indicates 100% expect the Fed not to hike in January. And while 78% expect at least one rate hike in 2019, 17% expect a cut. As for 2020, those numbers drop to 48% expecting a rate hike and 37% expecting a cut. Finally, there's this issue of the Fed's balance sheet. Powell has shifted away from the idea that they are an autopilot in reducing the balance sheet each month. And the question now is, what is the overall impact on interest rates when the Fed has stopped buying treasuries and the deficit is rising at the same time? That'll be a critical question. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Bissani at the NYSE. So will the Fed deliver tomorrow or with a press conference after the decision is released, is that, uh, does that that's, introduce volatility? I, well, that's going to be the key. I mean, Powell has successfully walked back the kind of hawkish tone that he took that really rocked the markets. And I think he should probably take a do-no-harm approach to this. Don't say, any, you know, don't say anything that's going to change what's going on in the market. Clearly, they're, imp- they're impacted by what's going on with the stock market. So I would just say the wild cards here are if they say anything about autopilot going back to that autopilot that would be negative if they say anything about the balance sheet maybe expanding or an operation twist type of thing i think that'd be very positive for the market operation twist yeah well a reverse operation reverse twist. it'd be a rock yeah. we had all kinds of creative stuff out of the fed a few years back and and i agree with brian i i think the risk is to the downside for markets in terms of expectations here we went first of all we were at eight percent expectation of a june hike uh, around just just after Christmas time, we're now closer to 20 again. Um, last week, I think most of the equity markets rally was all about this removal of, of essentially the 50 billion a month. So uh, I think if anything, there's risk to the downside on that. We have a payroll number on Friday. Um, the mitigating part, consumer confidence day was awful. Yeah. We're at a level that we hadn't seen since July of 17. Expectations were back to 2016. Yeah, I liked, and nobody but me likes this, but I like the October Jerome Powell much more than I like 2019 well, the Jerome. Didn't Marcus like didn't the like October Jerome right. Powell. Yeah, I understand. I, I get it. But I would like, listen, a lot, we seem to be on more stable footing, it appears to be. I mean, especially given the results of Apple's earnings today. I would like for him to say, you know what? market seems to have corrected itself. He won't say these things, by the way. And we're still sort of on board with reducing our balance sheet, not necessarily um, 
autopilot. Autopilot, and we're still we're still looking at two hikes this year. That would be there's lovely. a zero chance that he could be any uh, uh, dovish enough for the the market is already pricing in the ultimate dove, right? There's a hundred percent zero chance of him raising rates tomorrow. tomorrow. So anything yeah. he says now is going to fall short. So I agree. I think it's downside risk to the market, but the problem is the markets run so aggressively that he might open up his mouth. And that's going to be the biggest problem for the overall market. You think that bounce back from December? I mean, so a bounce back that took place in one month is enough for the Fed, for Jay Powell to actually take back some of the dovishness and introduce some hawkishness? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, clearly a couple days after he made those statements, the market fell and all of a sudden they trotted out every Fed president to say, oh, we didn't really mean that. And I would just say, I, I think in general, if there's one tell out there, look at what gold's telling you. Gold is on fire. Mm-hmm. It's telling you that central banks around the world are going to start turning on that spigot again. That's the, the view I'm getting. Look, financial conditions are significantly looser than they were six weeks ago, and certainly a lot looser than they were about 10 weeks ago when you had rates at three and a quarter. So um, the Fed is paying attention to these dynamics. Look, if the Fed was able to be affected by market conditions to actually you know, push, push things, because again, we, the, the data has not in this country gotten significantly worse. Let's be clear. So we saw financial conditions seize up somewhat in December. Um, if the Fed reacted to that on the downside, I think they're reacting to that on the upside. All right, let's get a check on Apple as we head to break. The stock is up just about 6%. As CEO Tim Cook gives his three keys to Apple's long-term success on the earnings call. Gene Munster will bring us the very latest. And it's not just Apple on the move. AMD and eBay both out with reports will bring you all the headlines driving those stocks higher when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. eBay seeing a big reversal after hours. The company addressing activists' interests on the conference call moments ago. Let's get to Deidre Bosa in San Francisco for the details. Deidre. Hey, Melissa, eBay shares giving up some of those gains as the conference call goes on, because really, if you were hoping to hear more on how eBay's management was going to respond to activist investors, you were likely disappointed. Have a listen. We feel strongly about our ability to deliver value now and in the future to our customers, employees, and shareholders. Finally, I appreciate that there will likely be questions regarding the letter Elliot issued last week commenting on our business. We've issued our public response, and we will not be discussing this further during today's call. Now, last week, eBay simply said that it would review Elliott Management's proposal. We won't get more on how it's going to implement or not implement some of those proposals. But eBay, it did issue a dividend for the first time ever, 14 cents a share. And while activist investors proposed a dividend, winning on the call, the CEO says that it was something that they started looking at before Elliott Management published its letter. CEO Devin Wenig also spoke about numerous cross-platform opportunities across StubHub and Classifieds, signaling that it is unlikely to to be sold or spun off. And that was another one of Elliott's proposals for the company to unlock shareholder value. Now, Elliott is also calling for eBay to revitalize its marketplace. And according to the latest results, the company still has some work to do on that front. GMV, or gross merchandise value for the holiday quarter, that came in light relative to the street's expectations. Melissa? All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. So here's a question. Uh, is the only reason to be an eBay stock the hope of, of some sort of activist yes. intervention that you know no i actually thought this i thought this was not a bad report and i mean you have the activist interventions as potentially a tailwind but the other thing that i like about this there's 15 buys and 21 holds 
from the analysts. So there's a lot of room for upgrades here. And I thought the quarter was fine. This is a problem for me. When you sell off things that are supposed to be good, I have a problem with that. The core business has underperformed for quite some time now. It's underperformed Amazon. It's underperformed Alibaba. People don't have, it's not in their vernacular to talk about eBay anymore. It's just not a, I I don't like the fact that you're selling off some of the things that are your biggest assets. So I do think the only reason why you've seen it pop recently is because of the activism. It's down dramatically from a year ago. Well, look, their marketplace is only up about 5%. That's not going to get anybody a growth multiple. I think the activism put a big charge in this stock. It's up 25% going into the numbers. None of this surprised me. On fundamentals, this is a neutral stock. It's not a bad stock. They're certainly doing fine. They also just said that the consumer was slowing in December. So let's watch that because that's, you know, that's clearly a big deal for them. Yeah, I, I think the only reason it's, de- well, I mean, I agree with everything. It's stocks went from 27.5 to 34, basically in a straight line over the last, you know, three weeks, basically. So I can understand why it's selling off. But the BK's point, quarter wasn't terrible. And they authorized another $4 billion of stock repurchase for a company with, I think, a $37 billion market cap. That's not insignificant. So I think on this sell-off, you could take advantage of it and buy it. All right. We're still tracking the two big tech movers after hours. Apple and Advanced Micro both are rallying. The conference calls are taking place right now. We'll hear from the CEOs and the earnings deluge. Doesn't stop there. A ton of other big names have to report this week. The traders will tell you which stocks they are watching. More fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast. Let's check out where we stand with Apple earnings. The stock is up about 6% here, and the move is giving all the FANG stocks a boost in the after-hour session. Apple CEO Tim Cook speaking on the company's conference call. Josh Lipton is at Apple headquarters in Cupertino to tell us what he had to say. Hey, Josh. Well, Mel, we know Tim Cook has talked a lot about the challenges his company is facing in China, but he started off this call talking about what he thinks is going right in China. Take a listen. We generated record December quarter services revenue in greater China, fueled by an amazing ecosystem with over two and a half million registered iOS developers. We saw very strong results from our wearables business there, with revenues up over 50%. We also continued to grow our total active installed base by adding new customers. In fact, more than two-thirds of all customers in China who bought a Mac or an iPad during the December quarter were purchasing that product for the first time. Now, there's a lot of talk on this call, Mel, too, obviously about services, and we did get that services gross margin figure, 62.8% for the first time. CFO Luca Maestri is saying that's an increase of 170 basis points sequentially. Uh, the very first question on the call, though, actually came from Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty, and she wanted to know, uh, to her, it looked like that services growth rate uh, had decelerated, at least from recent quarters. Um, Luca Maestri chalking that up, he said, to some foreign exchange headwinds, accounting changes, uh, decelerated deceleration in Apple Care. He also pointed out an issue that it impacted the App Store in China. Notably, there was that gaming freeze that we had seen there. Going to hop back on the call, bring you guys more headlines as they come. Back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Uh, Apple shares up five and a quarter percent now. Let's bring Gene Munster back in. So, Gene, what did you make of the comments so far? The comments so far, Gene, on what Apple said? You know, we're just getting into the thick of this Q&A, so it's getting juicy here. But the issues are around the services growth. Some of that deceleration has surprised some of the analysts and so I think Tim Cook did a good job explaining why that strength can continue. Second is the number of active iPhones, 900 million, that's up, call it 10% year over year. That's better than what investors had been expected. They had thought that that base was essentially flat. So I see some optimism around that. 
overall, the tone of uh, the call continues to be that they have the strength to essentially wade through this macro headwind. So encouraging from that perspective. Gene, can I ask you a housekeeping question? And that is active installed base. If I'm a person with three devices, does that active install base go up by three, even though it's one person and, and my subscriptions to some Apple services may be the same across my devices? You would account for three active install right. bases in that case. And in terms of uh, subscription revenue uh, per user, it's per account. So it would be one account, but three active uh, devices. So how does active installed base give you a better reading on what the services revenue would be? The bigger the installed base, the more shots on net essentially. Now it's not a one for one as you said, because people can add devices but not necessarily add accounts. But in general, a growing install base is positive. Keep in mind that the miss essentially was on a lot of the new iPhones. So there was the reason why that base grew is that people who had existing iPhones resold those. There's a lot of ways to do that. Apple is one way to do that. And those tend to go into emerging markets and get activated as new accounts. Apple did give a new metric that they've never given, which is 60% of service revenue comes from outside of the U.S. We had expected that number to be 50%. And I think that that's a sign that this, uh, essentially, this, um, this growing active installed base is having a positive effect on services growth, particularly outside of the U.S. Okay, now, Gene, um, I, I cheated, and I looked at what you're grading the quarter, and that would be a B, and growing up in my household, that would actually be a failing mark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm wondering, what is the primary driver for the B for the B grade? <laughs> so the B is, uh, in my grading, uh, you miss a quarter, you can't get an A. And I think that you need to take that into context is uh, that there was clearly a miss, unprecedented miss. But I think if you would, there might be a, a little bit of a footnote to this B in the sense that if you take into the overall macro, things that we've heard from all different companies, I think it's more like an A minus type of grade. I think that they did an outstanding job. In particular, something that I mentioned earlier, the idea that a company misses revenue but still has record earnings, I have never seen that. And I think that that's probably a way to kind of think about this is almost two grades in this quarter. All right, Gene, thank you so much for all of your analysis tonight. Gene Munster of Loop thank Ventures. Uh, Guy, do you still stand by your thesis at the beginning of the show that the worst is not behind Apple, given what we've heard on the call so, so far? So uh, Gene's the best. B, yes. to your point, not a great grade. For me, it was I was doing ha back handsprings. <laughs> With that said, the reason why, and Gene can verify this, I think, EPS record quarter, they're buying back a lot of stock. That helps. And their guide for the next quarter, revenue, it suggests year-over-year -year sequential decline in revenue. And iPhone sales are down 15% year-over-year. I think what the market is telling you, that the move from 225 to here makes it all in the stock. I'm not certain that's the case. Right. Gross margin, by the way, wasn't stellar either when you look sequentially, right? It would be a decline given their, given their commentary. Yeah. And, and so, you know, people are looking for, again, the falling ASPs as being something else to indict the company over. Um, the things that are positive, Guy talked about the buy. Look, they bought back 12 billion or gave dividends $12 billion in the quarter. That's annualizing. You can do the math. Almost $50 billion. That's one of the value drivers for being a shareholder here. The other is that the, the services revenue in greater China was record for a difficult quarter. Not bad. All right. Check out shares of AMD. Still spiking after hours. The CEO is speaking on the call right now. We'll hear from her in just a few minutes. Plus, as earnings continue to roll in, one trader is betting this stock here could surge nearly 20% in the next week. We'll tell you what it is. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The busiest week of earnings rolls on tomorrow. Take a look at this full slate of big names set to report. Boeing, McDonald's, Facebook, Tesla, Microsoft. So which names are the guys here on the desk watching it the closest, Tim? I think you have to be watching Microsoft. This has been arguably the, the most consistent company over the last are six to nine Mega? months. Sorry? Are you going to say Mega? <laughs> you know, I thought about it. I decided not to bring it up, but you have now brought it up, Mel. So we're on some level, Dan Nathan is smiling. Um, <laughs> like the bottom line here is this is a company that in a world where we've heard some negative feedback on cloud, we've heard negative feedback on gaming. These are big areas for this company. And actually, I think they're the ones that could also at some point start to tell you they're seeing a slowdown. If they do, this is another one of these names. But in the short run, Microsoft's been outperforming. Russell, which one? Oh, if you look at Tesla, it's been all over the map for me and, and for everybody. And there was talks about this when you had that initial SEC investigation way, way, way back when the weather was warmer, that this stock could be cut in half. I was one of those guys looking for it to be cut in half. Then it rallied aggressively. If it doesn't hold this price where it's at right now, let's call it 298, this could be in trouble for them for as far as cash flow and funding and whatnot. Mm. McDonald's, a lot of people uh. will start talking about, BK will bring this up, potential double tops around 190 or so. Um, valuation potentially a concern. I think though McDonald's is interesting. I think they're going to beat, and I think you blow through the 190 level. What are you watching? Well, I would I would agree with him on that. The other M in, in MAGA is McDonald's, but I'd also look at Boeing as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's two M's in there. You didn't know that. MAGA. Yeah, <laughs> but Boeing too. Right? I mean, McDonald's is going to give you kind of a view on the on the restaurant sector, the consumer. Boeing's going to tell you what's going on with the industrial economy around the world. How much was it impacted by the slowdown in December? All right. Speaking of Tesla on deck for earnings, despite CEO Elon Musk's warning of a difficult road ahead, one options trader is betting on a major post-earnings rally for the stock. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with all the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so Tesla is implying a move of about 10% on earnings this week. That's in line with what it has done historically on earnings. And one of the trades that stuck out to me today that was pretty interesting was a purchase of 1,000 of the February 8th weekly, 345 strike calls. They were spending just a little over three bucks for those. So this is making a bullish bet that it's going to be above 345 by a week from this coming Friday. That would be an increase of about 18%. And a move of that size over a like amount of time is rare, but not unprecedented. We have seen about five moves of that magnitude or larger in the history of Tesla earnings. And that could also be a hedge for one of the many people who have big short positions Hmm. in the stock. All right, Mike, thanks. Mike Coe in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, check out where we stand with AMD. The CEO, Lisa Su, is speaking on the conference call right now. We'll tell you what she just said that is taking shareholders by storm. We're back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on AMD. The stock is up about 8% after our CEO, Lisa Sue speaking on the call moments ago. Take a listen. We reached an important milestone in our business in the quarter as our high-margin data center CPUs and GPUs accounted for a mid-teens percentage of overall revenue. While we expect our data center revenue to be lumpy, the ramp of our data center business is beginning to contribute meaningfully to our financial results. So the question here is, is AMD in a better position than NVIDIA, which, of course, warned yesterday? And we should know, too, that AMD, I mean, when Lisa Sue talks about GPUs and CPUs, they operate at a very different price point from NVIDIA on average. On average, their average selling price is much lower, about a third of where NVIDIA is. So 
What's the answer? Well, again, it tells you how competitive it's getting in there, and it tells you where people have different approaches to the, their, their business model. And also on Data Center, again, this was something that Intel really warned on. They're talking about it being meaningful. They're taking market share. Mm-hmm. That's becoming more commoditized. What do you do with semiconductors in general? Um, you had Xilinx, which is good. You have AMD, which is good. Then you had NVIDIA, and you had Intel. What do you make of it? Personally, I think you stay with the winners. And the winners, well, AMD has been a, a tough sled over the last couple of months, granted. But I think you stay with AMD despite valuation. I think you stay with Lamb Research and Xilinx. I think Intel told you all you need to know. You're not going to get killed in it, but it's not going to go up 10% in one day either. You know, when you look at a name that we haven't talked about, Micron, and when you look at DRAM prices and you overlay that, that chart, DRAM tells you everything you need to know about Micron. And Micron usually tells you everything you need to know about the global slowdown in the semiconductor business. I think DRAM is right. That one continues to go lower. So I think that you want to be seller of all these names. All right. Time for the final tray here. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Again, so we got a lot of biotech out there in Amgen after the bell. New Plasta, those numbers are fine. I think this company continues to execute a lot of this drug pipeline priced in. Brian Kelly. You know, do not ignore what's going on in the gold market. I'm going to go back to uh, Fast Money circa 2010, hmm. little throwback Tuesday. Buy wow. GDXJ. Grasso. There was a lot of red in the home builder space today. You know what wasn't red? Lennar. That was mm. green. I'm still long at Lennar. Final trade. Key. I think the weakness in eBay, and if I join the site today, it'll be the first time I've ever on the site, but I think you buy the weakness in E-B-A-Y. All right. Apple shares, by the way, still up 5% in the after hours. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.